All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ at His coming and His kingdom, preach the word. I have a job description and it's to preach the word. And I pray that you will turn in your word to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. The word of the living God. Made up of the individual words that he inspired for us. And we are to live by every one of them. There is great wisdom in Ecclesiastes 8. I am astounded by this little book of philosophy that the farther I go, the more it means to me. I know that some are waiting for chapter 9, but chapter 8 has so much wisdom for us in light of current political events, past and six weeks from now. But we trust the living God, and He tells us how to live in chapter 8. I hope that today you will listen and prepare your hearts and minds now through the wisdom of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 that you will be ready to respond to God's providence in your life because He could very easily send some days of adversity our way and we should learn how to humbly submit to them, bless and praise Him, admit that we brought nothing into this world and we're going to carry nothing out, that He gave and He has the right to take away, and blessed be His glorious name. To examine ourselves and to confess all sins and to repent. Because adversity is to consider and repent. Goodness is to consider and repent as well. Because the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. And then we should eat, drink, and be merry with moderate pleasures. Because He's coming for us. And He tells us all that in this 8th chapter. May the Lord help us. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, the book called The Preacher, because the preacher, Solomon the son of David, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and God made him the richest, wisest, most able man to make all the observations and analysis of human life to find out if there was any true meaning to be found under the sun on this planet during your 70 years, if he gives you all those years. In here are the answers to the questions of life, of why we live and move and have our being on this planet, and what we are to do to face all the varying circumstances of life. There are six lessons in chapter 8, and I'm sorry for not sending you out a brief outline yesterday afternoon or morning when I sent the preparatory email. But let's learn these six lessons today if God will be gracious to us and put speed to our speaking and hearing. The first lesson is in verse 1. Who is as the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. Praise the Lord. This lesson is the excellency of wisdom. The in comparability of a wise man. I wish that by the mere reading 
of that first clause and rhetorical question, that it would stir the souls of every man and boy in this assembly and every woman and daughter. Who is as the wise man? Do you want to be a wise man? Amen, brother. Thank you. There's two of us. I know there's more, but you ought to let it be heard. The people of God are supposed to say amen. I don't need amen. I never want you to do it for me. But you ought to do it for the Lord and everyone else sitting around you because the Bible says that real Christians and real hearers do it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 14 because it says you're in agreement with what's being said. Enough on that. Who is as the wise man? We need to ask a question. Who is the wise man? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ as those who like to spiritualize the Bible away into nothing would say? Is it the Apostle Paul who had more wisdom about God's dealings in the New Testament with the Gentiles than anyone else? Is it Ezra who was a ready scribe in the Word of God? Is it Solomon who indeed was a wise man? Is it the kings that are described in verses 2 through 5, which the Bible does say their hearts are unsearchable for wisdom? Or is the wise man a collective noun for wise men? And who is as the wise man? No one is as the wise man. He is superior to other men. You can be rich. You can be tall. You can be strong. You can be educated. But if you're not wise, you're nothing. You can be weak, short, and fat. But if you're wise... Who is like, or who is as, the wise man? Oh, to God that we would be wise. Isn't this a wonderful verse? It doesn't matter where you were born, how you were born, your opportunities in life, your education, your athletic prowess, or anything else. It's your wisdom. Who is as the wise man? I I do not believe this is referring to Solomon. I do not believe this is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he was the wisest man that ever lived. And of course, he knew the interpretation of a thing. And I will use him as an example. But, but Solomon here was writing to encourage men to be wise, which is the whole purpose of his book called The Preacher. If you look at chapter 2, I want you to see a collective noun in the same words. Chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it speaks of the woman. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it's speaking to all women. But it says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. What woman? That's called a collective noun, meaning it's collected all women under the singular noun, the woman. I hope you're aware of the verse. I don't have time to chase that one. It's too simple. I didn't mean that in a condescending way. I hope you understand it. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, meaning all women. Look at chapter 2 and verse 14. The wise man's eyes are in his head. What wise man? Solomon? Is Solomon saying that his eyes are in his head? Okay. How about verse 16? For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool. Do you see two collective nouns there? The wise and the fool. Is that one wise man and one foolish man, or all wise men and all... Thank you. Okay. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. There's more that can be said. I can't say it all, but it's my job to rightly divide the word of truth to you and give it 
sense to you so that you can understand the reading and lay hold of it. And so now when you read the words, who is as the wise man? No one is like the wise man. He's incomparable. He is excellent. He is superior to other men. And God offers wisdom. Have you read the book of Proverbs with me over the last five years? Wisdom crieth without. She standeth in the high places of the city. Oh, men, men, listen to me. Let me give you wisdom. Come in and dine. I have furnished my table. I have set it with wine and bread. Sit down and eat and be wise. Right. Wisdom is something you can choose to have today. We humble ourselves before God because it begins with the fear of God. It begins with hating evil. Proverbs 8.13 And then it goes to learning His commandments and keeping them. Who is as the wise man? Joseph was one, wasn't he? Do you remember Pharaoh and his whole court? Now listen, and I get too plain sometimes, maybe, maybe. If you think I'm too plain, you ought to go read Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 16, then come to me and tell me what those verses are talking about. If you have any understanding of those two chapters, then you'll say that your pastor is a penny-wasted, compromising talker for not laying it out the way it should be laid out. Amen. Pharaoh was a great man and had a great ego. He ran the greatest nation on earth. But when he sat in the presence of a young Joseph and listened to Joseph give his dream, interpret his dream, and apply his dream, and tell Pharaoh what ought to be done, this greatest monarch on earth looked at a young, Jewish, captive, slave, convicted of rape, shepherd boy, and said, counselors and wise men, have you ever seen the spirit of wisdom in a man, the spirit of the holy gods, like we have just heard? Praise the Lord. Amen. Who, are there any young men in this church that want to be like Joseph? It's easy. Fear the Lord, depart from evil, and love His word. It's easy. I wish all my sons were wanted to be wise men. It's so easy. Lady Wisdom is chasing you every day and screaming from high places. I'm here. Take and be wise. All of you boys. I want you to be wise men. Us older men in the church want you to outstrip us. Outstrip us and put us to shame. But we're not going to go down without a fight. <laughs> but we do want you to outstrip us. Who is as the wise man? Daniel, Daniel stood before Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel stood before Belshazzar, Daniel stood before Cyrus, and Daniel stood before Darius. You show me a counselor that was a captive eunuch from a foreign nation that stood before four different kings. There were others in between. And they said, this man should rule the province of Babylon. Yes. And he should be president of all the governors of the empire. Because there was an excellent spirit found in Daniel. You can read it in the first four verses of Daniel chapter 6. Who is as the wise man? 
We know that this is a collective noun for multiple wise men because the indefinite article A is used in the third clause where it says, A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine. We are not dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ or with Solomon. We're dealing with a wise man. Do you want to be that wise man? There's very few upon earth. That's why the question is, who is as the wise man? No one is as the wise man because there's so few of them. It's to get your attention. And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Who knows? This is not Bible study. The interpretation of a thing. It doesn't say the interpretation of a chapter or a verse. It's the interpretation of a thing. What to do in a given circumstance or situation. Would you please hold your hand there and turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And I want to show you a couple clauses that I hope will further light your zeal for wisdom. And to be this man in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Everything that we have learned so far and everything that we're going to learn in the rest of this book, the wise man already knows it. Anybody wants to learn it, he wants to be refreshed in it, he wants it established in his heart, he wants it in his head so that when he thinks, when he thinks in his heart, when he talks in his home with his wife, when he operates in the world, in varying situations and circumstances, he does what is wise and what is right. Who is as the wise man? Hardly any. Who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Very few. First Chronicles chapter 12. Brethren, I want to finish chapter 8 today so bad. I do not want to spend the rest of my life in the book of Ecclesiastes, though I love it. But I'm in such deep trouble studying, and I've got so many pages we could be here all week, because there is a lot of wisdom here. And I do not want to be redundant or foolish or take too long. I've done my part to go faster, but I want you to get some of these things, and I have to slow down, and I want you to see some of these clauses. These, these are the words of God. I don't want you to hear my words. I want you to hear God's words. And I want by the Holy Spirit that was prayed that it will light a fire in you. This world, did you, did you read with me Psalm 82? This world at the highest levels, the men that get all the glory, that have the bodyguards, you know, all the secret service guys walking around with little earpieces in their ear and big lumps under their coats. Those are Uzi machine guns, as we saw when the assassination attempt was made on Ronald Reagan a number of years ago. Wisdom is greater than that. They go on in darkness. They do not know what they do. Who is as the wise man? Because you're in an office doesn't make you wise. But you can be wise without an office. Humble yourself before God and fear Him and make Him the fear of your life. Hate evil and depart from it in every way, in every shape and form in your life. And love the Word of God and read it every day. And take it into your heart and mind and meditate upon it. And exercise your senses to discern good and evil in the light of its verses. Now let me read to you about some men. King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed on the battlefield by the Philistines. Judah loved David because David was from the tribe of Judah, so they immediately made him king. Abner was a faithful servant of King Saul. Abner defended Saul's son Ishbosheth for two years. The other tribes of Israel were loyal to Saul and would not submit to David. 
for two years because Abner held them together. One day, Ishbosheth, profane like his father, accused Abner of sleeping with his concubine. Abner went and met David in a private meeting and said, When do you want the other 11 tribes? Times they were a changing. The tribe of Benjamin did not want to give up the rulership of Israel because King Saul had been given that by the Lord. They wanted to keep it. But all the tribes came to make David king, and I want to read a little piece about the men of Issachar and see who here wants to be a man of Issachar. If you want more of this, 7 o'clock on Wednesday evening. 1 Chronicles 12, 32. And the children of Issachar. 1 Chronicles 12, 32. And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. Praise the Lord. There were 200 leaders out of the great tribe of Issachar that understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. And do you know what Israel ought to do? Humble themselves, give up the tribe of Benjamin and the family of Saul, and go humble themselves to that little David that was a shepherd boy that was now ruling in Judah. And David had the whole nation. But I want you to hear the words. There have been men in the history of this world, not written by our history writers that write books for classes and make them as thick as they can so they can charge 150 bucks per semester. Not those men, written by the living God. And the living God said this about these men. They were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That is, who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Very few men. But there were some men of Issachar that knew the interpretation of a thing. They knew that it was a time to give up their two-year loyalty to the family of Saul and to give it to David. David had that understanding all the way through his life. David had the understanding of a thing and the interpretation of it. When he stood in Shiloh before the tabernacle and he and his men were hungry and he saw showbread there on the table of showbread, David understood that he could take that showbread and eat it and feed his men. And he knew what words to say to the priest to allow him to do so, that the men hadn't been at any women for the last three days, and that they were, to a degree, their vessels were sanctified and holy. Have you ever read the passage to know how he reasoned? This was a man who knew the interpretation of a thing. David knew Hosea 6.6 long before Hosea wrote 6.6. Hosea 6.6 says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. How did David know it way back there in 1 Samuel? Because who is as the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? David already knew that because he knew the mind of God. Now you say, well, that's an exception. 1 Corinthians 2 says, we have the mind of Christ. You just neglect the mind of Christ. You can think and speak and live like the Lord Jesus Christ if you would fear God and make Him the fear and love of your life if you would hate the world and the sin that is in it and love holiness and righteousness, and if you would read this Bible and pray over it and meditate upon it and learn it every day. 
And it doesn't take hours. It just takes some consistent minutes. Who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? David did. Does 1 Samuel 18 tell us in three different places in that one chapter that David behaved himself wisely before all the people, that his name was much set by, and Saul was afraid of him? Because who was as the wise man? Saul wasn't. And so he feared David, a young, inexperienced shepherd boy, but he was wise. Please follow with me. Who is as the wise man? Who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? The Lord Jesus Christ, and we had the words read to us by our brother Jerry, was faced with the most conservative sect of the Jewish religion that came to him and tried to catch him by asking him, We know that you have no respect for any man. We know that you fear God only. Should we pay tribute to Caesar? Who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Many in this assembly have been faced in the past by so-called patriots who are really anarchists, who did not want to pay their taxes to our government. When the Bible says pay, pay and pay. I was faced with that early in my life. Many others have been faced with it here. Who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Let me exalt the Lord Jesus Christ by how he interpreted it. You heard the words? Do you understand them? Some of you I know understand. He said, show me your money. Oh, oh, sweet. They pull out all these gold pictures of Caesar. They say, here's our money. He said, who is that? Is that Abraham? Is that Moses? Is that Jehu? Who is that? It's Caesar. Well, boys, if you're going to walk around with pictures of Caesar in your pocket, I'd say Caesar is in charge of a new government over your nation. Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. That is brilliant. Who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Jesus was caught in a thing, and it was taxation of Israel, the people of God. That is a de facto government. That is a Latin expression for a government in fact. That is different from a de jure government, which is a government in writing, or a government in constitution or principle. It's de jure government, which is one based upon a written constitution, or de facto government, one that really exists, Because they've got the guns and are marching on your streets and you're carrying their pictures in your wallet. Literally, in your wallet. Jesus understood all that and he taught us something right there. Their constitution was the Old Testament. Do you know what their Old Testament constitution said they could do to Romans? Kill them all. Have no mercy upon them. But Jesus overruled the de jure government because there was a de facto government. God had so ordered providence that Rome had whipped Israel. And Rome had whipped Israel so much that they had all agreed to pay tribute. That's when you say uncle. Uncle! That's what tribute money is. We're bigger than you and we can beat you up worse. So you're going to pay us off. 
That's called tribute money. That's why he said, show me. And they pull it out and they're carrying pictures of Caesar around. Now, I was presented years ago as a foolish young man that our government didn't have a right to tax us. If there was ever a time when taxes weren't right, it was in Israel. Do you follow everything I've said so far? I can't repeat it. This sermon is not about taxes. It's just a part of it. Did you follow everything I said? It was an issue of taxation by a foreign, usurping, pagan, God-hating, idol-worshipping, occupying military force called Rome. Did they owe taxes to them? Indeed. Because there had been a change of governments by the providence of God and according to Daniel. I was told by men that the Constitution is our king. And all we should obey is the Constitution. The Constitution, in its original writing, didn't have an income tax. And blah, 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 and on and on they go. And how the Constitution says that only gold and silver coins should be the made tender in payment of legal debts. So all you had to do to say one of those people, if you had read the Bible, and I hadn't early enough, was show me the money. And when you ask them to show you the money... The money has a pyramid with an all-seeing eye over it. And it's a piece of paper that says, I'm not really money. I'm a Federal Reserve note. The Federal Reserve promises to pay. It doesn't tell you that it can pay anything. 20, 30, 40 years ago, it would say on it that it's redeemable in lawful money. Admitting that it wasn't lawful money, but all the people that wanted to argue about the law were carrying these around and living with them. They went to work to get paid these, and they used these to buy their groceries and buy their houses and buy their cars and pay for gasoline. The same principle holds true right now. If you don't like the Constitution, if, if you want to be loyal to the Constitution of the United States, then tear, take out those Federal Reserve notes right now and tear them up. No, put them in the aisle and I'll get them later. Don't tear them up because they're very useful. It's the money of our country because we've had a de facto government since Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln funded the northern war effort against the south by what are called Lincoln greenbacks. He's the first man to break the Constitution. And Listen, I'm from the north. I couldn't care where I'm from. All I want to know is who knoweth the interpretation of a thing. We have a de facto government because we have a de facto money. We do not have a constitutional or de jure money. We have a de facto money and enough on that. All of that was to say, who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Joseph knew, David knew, Daniel knew, and the Lord Jesus Christ knew. Let me give you another example. The Apostle Paul stood on trial before Festus and Agrippa. And Festus said, Paul, are you willing to be tried in Jerusalem? If Paul would have been one of these rebel Christians, he would have said, No, I'm on trial before the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to quote you some Bible verses that God's going to defend me. That would be an idiot. That is not faith. That is folly. Paul weighed in his mind, If I go back to Jerusalem... Those bloodthirsty Jews that have taken an oath upon them that they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me. I have one other option under the law. I appeal to Caesar. There are men today that say if you buy insurance, 
you don't have faith. That's a bunch of baloney. I am discreet. There are men that say in a situation like that, you ought to put your trust in God. And say, God will take care of me. I'll go back to Jerusalem. No, who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A wise man understands that he uses the means that God has given him. When the Lord Jesus Christ was on top of the temple and Satan said, jump, because the angels are going to bear you up according to Psalm 91, Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I'll take the fire escape and get down myself the way I got up here. Do you understand all that? That's the, how do we learn all that? By reading those Proverbs every day. I'm sorry they're so long. I'm sorry they're so boring. I wish I could write them better. I wish I could write them to grab your attention as much as the comic strips do. I wish I could grab you like MTV grabs its generation. I'm sorry. But you should be able to see past my poor writing efforts to see the wisdom that is found in the book of Proverbs because you can be a wise man. Who is as the wise man? Who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? I hope you all heard everything I just said. I gave you examples biblical and I gave you examples contemporaneous. A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine. A man who is wise has a merry heart because nothing can get him down. And it causes his face to shine. This is a little deeper than simply that you can look at a person and generally tell their IQ. Because a man's... A man's intelligence does cause his face to shine. Even in newborn babies, you can tell within a few hours or days how intelligent they are by the brightness of their face and eyes. There is a dull look that's just dull intelligence. And we're not putting dull and low intelligence people down. God makes the differences. And any intelligence that any man ever has, he received it from God as a gift. According to 1 Corinthians 4, 7, and therefore he better not glory in it. But a bright face and bright eyes are a wonderful thing. But this is a little deeper than that is why I want to make the point. And maybe in the past this verse has been referred to about that simple little observation about life and basic human intelligence. We want to make more of it right now. A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine. Look at Proverbs chapter 15 with me. Holding your hand there at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Oh, that is sweet what I... De facto government versus de jure government. This isn't political science. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is straight out of Matthew chapter 22. That is what Jesus had to deal with. And that's what many of us in this church have had to deal with. Because we're conservatives and we think outside the box. And so we have been tempted by men who were way outside the box to do things against the Word of God. And we are not going to do things against the Word of God. We are going to submit to our government. We're going to pray for our government. We're going to pay our government. We're going to give honor to whom honor is due, fear to whom fear is due. We're going to fear God and honor the King. And the King is not the Constitution. The King could be Senator Barack Hussein Obama II. And it will try our faith severely, but we're going to do it. And if you think your faith is being tried more than mine, well, then that's just a debate we may have to have. But it doesn't matter. I want to do it for the Lord's sake. If the Lord Jesus Christ told me, you submit to whatever government I give you because actually I'm in charge over all of it, and you can honor me by trusting the men that I've put in office, if that's what he wants from me, I'm going to do it in front of all of you. I don't want to hear jokes about our president. 
don't tell me jokes about President Bush. Compared to what's coming, the president that we've had for the last eight years is a dignified, noble man. I know there are some economic problems in our country. But do you know who sent them? The God of heaven sent them because this nation is too proud, too full of bread, and there's too much abundance of idleness. That's why he burned up Sodom and Gomorrah, according to Ezekiel 16.49. And if there was ever a nation that fulfilled the indictment of Sodom and Gomorrah, it is the United States of America. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness in her daughters. Do we have the laziest daughters the world has ever seen? Absolutely, without a doubt. They should go back and hear what their great-grandmother did when they were 17 years old. They've never even got close enough to hard work to smell it. I'm talking about young ladies in general. Some of you that get up at 4 o'clock and start making biscuits for Chick-fil-A. Yes. That that sounds like great-grandma. It really does. She made biscuits at 4 o'clock, 4.30. Yes. Love you. I do. You too. Proverbs 15. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. How in the world can a man with wisdom, who understands what God is doing, and that what God does shouldn't be argued against, shouldn't be inquired into, shouldn't be questioned or resented, he submits himself to it, and he eats, drinks, and is merry. Because he chooses to submit to whatever God brings him and take the simple pleasures of life and enjoy them. He doesn't fret. He doesn't worry. He isn't worried by oppression. It doesn't concern him all that much because he knows that God is in charge. That man has a merry heart, and the merry heart shows by a shining face. If he works for a company where there's a lot of ineptness, and guess what? Do you know how many of us work for companies where there's a lot of ineptness? All of us. Yes. I used to do it. I needed psychotherapy when I worked at Michigan National Bank of Detroit. Do you know who my psychoanalyst was? And I did sleep with her. It was that poor little woman that deserves to be a saint. I would come home from work so angry. I'm never going back to that stupid place. They don't want to make money. They don't know how to make money. We make money in spite of ourselves. She'd say, just lie down with your head on my lap. Okay, I'm just trembling with rage and anger, and I'm not going back to that stupid bank. And she'd comfort me and listen to me while the children played around, or she kept them in the bedroom locked up. (laughs) And, you know, the next day I'd get up and go back to work. I didn't have a merry heart. I should have been so thankful for the job I had at a tender age and the blessings of that job, but instead I was, I was fretting and worried and fussing all the time. But look at this text. This is what wisdom gives a man. He gives, it gives him a merry heart. He, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. And so it, it shows on a shining face because he's happy. Paul and Silas were singing praises to God in the dungeon in Acts chapter 16. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Why are people sorrowful? I just don't know why God did this to me. Why did God do this to me? And that sorrow of heart breaks their spirit. And the broken spirit shows on their face. It's a shame. They don't have greater faith and trust in God, who's in charge of all the bad things that go on in life. 
Look at the two verses later, verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil. That man who's afflicted in his, in his soul by a broken heart, all his life he's afflicted. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. What does a man's face look like when he's at a feast? He's smiling. He's glowing. This is so good. All this great food, all this great company. He's glowing. A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine. This is one example from the Bible. A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine is not describing Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7 when God the Holy Spirit in a mighty sign and wonder poured the Holy Ghost out upon him to condemn the Jews that were trying to kill him and his face glowed. This is not describing Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with his face glowing so he had to put a veil over it. It's describing a man that's wise is not moved by evil circumstances at all. He's still happy he, because he's having a continual feast. He knows not to seek, question, or resent God's sovereignty in life. And God's sovereignty in life extends right down to that light that turns red just at the point when you know you better stop. My face can stop shining when that light happens. But I don't want it to. And I want to learn more wisdom. That God turned that light red. Not the city engineers. But God turned that light red to try me. I don't like to buckle up, but I like to buckle up. I like to buckle up for two reasons, conscience and wrath. The two reasons you heard in Romans 13. The wrath is, I don't want to pay a hundred bucks for not buckling up. It's not the sword. Thankfully, Nebuchadnezzar's not in charge where he would kill us for not buckling up. He might. And for conscience sake, because the Lord said to submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. So, so it's easy to do it for the Lord. A wise man is always happy and has a continual feast because he knows not to seek into or try to explore God's sovereignty in his life, nor to question it, nor to resent it. Whenever I hear anybody even come close to the words, I'm angry at God. That horrifies me. How can you ever imagine such wicked words? Who do you think you are? That'll kill you from the inside out. And the Lord will help it along. We don't explore it. We don't resent it. We don't hate God for anything He's done in our lives. He's made us short. He's made us wise. He's made us dumb. He's made us different. He's given us bad parents. He's given us good parents. He's done so many things. And do you know what? Everything he's done is good, righteous, and perfect in all his ways. Give him glory. A wise man knows how to eat, drink, and be merry. He has a continual feast day after day. Look at chapter 17, verse 22. Proverbs 17, verse 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Have you met people whose bones are dried out? You can tell their bones are dried out because their face is dried out. But a man who has a merry heart, it doeth good like a medicine. You on drugs? You know, we have a sister in this church that we've asked that a couple of times. But she's not on drugs. She may be on barley tea or a few other things. 
She even ate a hot dog yesterday. Bless my heart. Are you on drugs? Because a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. It makes us all better. Where does the merry heart come from? It's a wise man's heart. The wise man understands that everything bad that's happening that's out of my control is in God's control. And therefore, he's doing it even if it's right in my office, even if it's right in my home, even if it's right in my body. Is everyone with me? He's in charge. So I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry today. Because life is short. And one day wasted in being upset, fretting, worrying, fighting, arguing about things is a wasted day. Life is too short to waste days. I'm 51. I wish I was 51 weeks and was hearing this. Well, 51 months or so to hear it with understanding and to do it again. I wouldn't need so much psychoanalysis when I came home from work. Because I should have been very thankful. But I was often very angry. Back to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Oh, there's so much wisdom there. Oh, wisdom. Young men, lay hold of it. Older men, let's show them how. Ecclesiastes 8, 1, who is as the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Wise men do. They know because they understand the times and they know what Israel ought to do. A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. This can be taken in, several, in a couple different ways, and they don't contradict each other. They complement each other. Uh, the boldness of his face shall be changed. The boldness of a man, if a man is too bold, bordering on impudent, border, bordering on cruel, bordering on fierce, which are by words the Bible uses about faces. Cruel faces, fierce faces, impudent faces. That man, by having wisdom, his face is softened. softened, Because he learns how to soften his face, he even learns how to laugh. Usually a wise man is very sober, and he's grave. A one-word synonym for grave is dignified. A one-word synonym for sober is serious. Dignified and serious. Was Job a wise man? Was Job a very wise man? Was Job dignified and serious? Yes, but look at Job 29 with me and see how wisdom changed the boldness of his face. Job 29. We could take a long time on this one clause. Uh, Let me give you a couple of examples of how wisdom, it causes your face to shine because you have a merry heart all the time, no matter what. Lord, help us have that merry heart all the time, no matter what. And then it changes your face, the boldness of your face. Job chapter 29, verse 21. He is listing the way he conducted himself before God sent the trials into his life. Unto me men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. There's an E.F. Hutton advertisement about everyone wanting to listen to whatever E.F. Hutton has to say. They stole that from Job 29 that was written 4,000 years ago. Because here in Job 29, Job is describing the fact that when he was going to speak, everyone else shut up because they wanted to hear the wisdom that was going to come out of his mouth. Unto me men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. 
After my words, they spake not again. And my speech dropped on them. And they waited for me as for the rain. And they opened their mouth wide as for the latter rain. If I laughed on them, they believed it not. And the light of my countenance they cast not down. I chose out their way and sat chief and dwelt as a king in the army, as one that comforteth the mourners. What a poetic description of Job. When he spoke, men shut up and listened to him. When he finished speaking, they just sat there in silence, meditating upon the wisdom that had just fallen on them. And it was like they were opening their mouths to catch drops of water. That's a metaphor, brethren. Because they... They were just soaking up every, and catching everything that they could from Job's mouth. And then he would laugh and they wouldn't believe it. That such a dignified and serious man could laugh. They believed it not. That he could actually show amiableness and friendliness toward them. But they didn't make fun of his laughter because none of it was in excess. Did you get all that as we read through it? I hope you did. Amen. Back to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 1. But let me take that... The boldness of his face shall be changed in another direction. Wisdom gives a man greater confidence. Because the righteous are as bold as a lion. Notice it doesn't say that wisdom will cause a man's bold face or boldness not to change. It says it will change. And because the whole verse is positive, we want to look at any positive trait of a changing face. A wise man can be, can be compassionate and tender when he meets a situation calling for compassion and tenderness. But a wise man can also be very bold because wisdom strengthens him. He knows he has the answer. In Psalm 119 and verse 56, here's what David would say about the wisdom of God's word in his life. That's not the reference. 46. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. David knew with the wisdom that he had from God's word, he could give testimony before kings and not be ashamed. He knew the things he was saying were the wisest things to find on earth. And that even a king who has his own private tutors, the wisest men that the nation can afford from childhood, even when speaking before such a man, I will not be ashamed because I have the greatest wisdom that there is on earth from thy word. So the boldness of his face would change. It would become more bold. And so he could stand up like the Apostle Paul and present to Felix and Festus and Agrippa the things of righteousness and temperance and eternal judgment. And they would tremble when they heard him preach because he was so bold even in the face of kings from God's word because... Wisdom had made his face to shine and had given greater boldness to his words and his face. Who is as the wise man? Who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A wise man, a wisdom maketh his face to shine and the boldness of his face shall be changed. That is Ecclesiastes 8.1. Do the men and boys of this church want to be this wise man? Do the women and girls of this church want to be wise women? There was a woman named Abigail in the Bible. She was very beautiful to look upon. 
But it says also that she was of a good understanding. 1 Samuel 25, I believe it's verse 2. I'll introduce verses 2 through 5, which is the second lesson, and that is submission to civil authority. Verses 2 through 5 of Ecclesiastes 8. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. A wise man's heart knows when the Constitution has been overthrown and there's a new de facto government like the Lord Jesus Christ, like Daniel. Why did Daniel serve Nebuchadnezzar, who had raised the city of Jerusalem and burned the temple down? Why did he serve him so faithfully? Why didn't he cut his throat? He was next to the king. Because a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. God was judging the nation. And they deserved what they were getting. And they were to obey Nebuchadnezzar for 70 years and his descendants. Verse 2, the regard, I counsel you to keep the king's commandment. The king's commandment is another collective noun for all the king's commandments. Kings don't have just one commandment. My son Jonathan came up with a great parallel for that last night when we were at devotions. He said, don't we say, obey the law? Which one? When we say obey the law, we're using a collective noun for all the laws. And so when it says here, I counsel thee. Do you want to be the wise man of verse 1? If you want to be the wise man of verse 1, then you're going to want to really get into the counsel that the wisest man gave. Amen. And the wisest man said, keep the king's commandment. Right. And that in regard of the oath of God. And what is the oath of God? The oath of God was, I swear before the Lord God of heaven and earth in the Old Testament that David is now my king. And I give him the authority to use the army to enforce my obedience. Have any of you ever done that in this nation? I think you have. I think you've said something like this. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God and so forth. You've all said that. In this nation, we are close enough to Israel that we have had an oath of God by which we have said we're going to obey our government. We don't even need that oath because we have God telling us to do it anyway. But I want you to know that you've already incriminated yourselves. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment and that in regard of the oath of God. The oath that you've been sworn to and that you've pledged allegiance to and the oath that Israel was sworn to. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Don't you show him disrespect and impudence by walking out of his presence. Don't you turn your back on a police officer. You face him and answer him directly and call him sir. Stand not in an evil thing. Don't you stay doing something evil that is against the law. Repent of it, confess it, and turn to righteousness. 
for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. The government that the Bible recommends and the, the, the government that the Bible commends is not a republic and it's not a democracy. It is a dictatorship. Right. It is a monarchy. It is despotic authority of one man ordained by God and put in office by God, and he rules. Right. He doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. He does whatever he wants, which means he can cut your head off. Verse 4, where the word of a king is, there is power, meaning authority, and he can execute whatever he says. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? You don't have the right to question him or to try to stop him, and you can't anyway because he's going to roll right over you. Verse 5, whoso keepeth the commandment, there's that collective noun again for all commandments, whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. He'll be protected. Because all a king wants is obedience. All a manager wants is obedience. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. A wise man recognizes when there's been a change. Look at Joseph in Egypt. Why didn't Joseph in Egypt keep that dream to himself for seven years? So that during the years of plenty, they would have squandered all that produce. And then he could have told Pharaoh in the first year of famine, ha, 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 we have seven years of famine coming that's going to wipe your nation off the face of the earth because the way you treated my great-grandfather or my grandfather. Her father. Joseph didn't do that. Right. Joseph did everything he could in his power to help Pharaoh out. Because a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. And the apostles in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, when they were told by the Jews that they could no longer preach in the name of Jesus Christ, they said in chapter 4, What do you think? about whether we should obey you or obey God. Judge ye. Why don't you make a judgment? What do your lawyers say? Then in chapter 5, they simply said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Those were wise men that understood time and judgment. We'll have much more to say later. May the Lord bless the reading and teaching of his word to your hearts. May you understand that if you, from what we've covered today, if you want to get into verse 1, you get into verse 1 through verses 2 through 5. How submissive, honoring, and respectful are you going to be to our present government and to the one that's coming? Are we going to pay? Are we going to pray? Are we going to give honor to whom honor is due? Custom, tribute, and so forth. This is how you get into verse 1 in this immediate context. Who? is as the wise man. I pray that many men, boys, women, and girls want to be that wise man of Ecclesiastes 8.1. It's all right here in the Word of God. Let me say it again. Humble yourself before God and make Him the fear and love of your life. Hate evil and all wickedness that displeases Him. And read and meditate and pray over the Word of God. You can be that wise man.